Chapter 10 God's Anger Sermon 158, preached Monday, the 23rd of March, 1556, on Deuteronomy 28, 29b through 35. You shall be only oppressed and robbed continually, with none to save you. You shall betroth a wife, but another man shall violate her. You shall build a house, but you shall not dwell in it. You shall plant a vineyard, but you shall not begin to use its fruits. Your ox shall be slaughtered before your eyes, but you shall not eat of it. Your donkey shall be torn away from you, and shall not be restored to you. Your sheep shall be given to your enemies, and you shall have no one to rescue them. Your sons and your daughters shall be given to another people, while your eyes shall look on and yearn for them continually, and there shall be nothing you can do, literally nothing in the power of your hand. A people whom you do not know shall eat up the produce of your ground and all your labors, and you shall never be anything but oppressed and crushed continually. And you shall be driven mad by the sight of things your eyes shall behold. The Lord shall smite you on the knees and legs with sore boils, from which you cannot be healed, and from the sole of your foot to the crown of your head. We ought to remember Moses' intention, of which we have spoken before. That is, the reason why he continues to utter so many curses. It is because we are so slow to be moved. When our Lord threatens us, we make a game of it. And although we confess that we should meditate upon it, yet it escapes our minds. Moreover, we suppose that we shall always find places to hide, so that if God follows after us one way, we shall be able to avoid his blows by fleeing another. Thus do men deceive themselves, and for this reason they become hard-hearted. Now Moses, or rather the Spirit of God speaking by his mouth, perceiving that men are thus careless, and that they do not cringe as they did when God's judgments were first set before them, continues further, and adds threats upon threats. Again perceiving also that men seek hiding places, and thereby deceive themselves, thinking that they can save themselves by flinging over the fen, as they say, he shows that God has infinite means to punish us with, both above and beneath, both before and behind, both on the right hand and on the left, so that we are so hemmed in on all sides that it is not possible for us to escape. Delivered Unto Oppression Now after the threats we have seen already, he adds that those who so resist God shall be afflicted and tormented, so that men shall spoil them, and they shall be laid open to all sorts of violence forever, and no man shall deliver them. Verse 29 We see here that God uses the wicked for his own purposes, and that although their own intent is not his, yet he applies them to a good use when he inclines to punish us. In that there exist thieves and robbers, although they are given over to Satan, yet they do not fail to serve God's purpose. Indeed, for we see in this text that our Lord does not leave them at random to rob and to spoil, whether he wishes it or not. But he threatens his people, saying, They who disobey me shall be vexed and robbed. And where does it come from except from him? Now, although God permits oppressions, robberies, and violence to be done, he is very properly also able to condemn them according to his righteousness. 
or he must hate injustice. Yet notwithstanding, by his wonderful wisdom which is to us incomprehensible, he turns such things to his own service. Thus, when we have offended him, he must needs punish us by the hand of the most wicked. This is the more to our reproach, for if he himself should have punished us, and we saw before our eyes that he revenges his honor because of our iniquities, we would well say, seeing that we have offended him, that it is with good reason that we should come to account for it. But when he stirs up evil people, who despise his majesty, such as are given to all wickedness, and makes them our judges, it is to make us so much the more ashamed. Let us therefore consider that wherever the evil comes from, we always ultimately have to deal with God, and we must keep in mind that there is nothing done in this world except by His direction. And on that basis, let us enter into the examination of our faults. For it is not enough to know that God rules all things. Every one of us must indict himself, and consider that all afflictions and adversities are tokens of God's wrath. Now, when we speak of His wrath, we must in like manner remember His justice, and conclude from it all that we very well deserve to be punished. All the same, He threatens us before He strikes, so that we should not stand idly by until His threats come to pass, but rather prevent them beforehand as St. Paul also admonishes us in 1 Corinthians 11.32. As long as God spares us, let us be advised so to walk in His fear that we do not provoke Him to stir up thieves to torment and vex us, but that rather, if men attempt such injuries against us, we may stand in His protection, even as He promises to uphold all those who walk in His obedience. So then, let us see that we do so, and let us remember what is spoken by the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 33.1, which is that they who have robbed must be served with the same sauce. And that is the reason why violence and extortions do so continue in the world. Men marvel that evils grow worse and worse, but they should note the cause thereof. For those who bear chief sway and preeminence do not restrain themselves and seek nothing except to enrich themselves by swallowing up other men's substance. And if they have robbed, then God must send an overturning, so that other robbers will come and bereave these of their booty, and afterward a third group must step in to spoil them again. So there is never an end, and why? Because the world never ceases to provoke the wrath of God. And since we are headstrong, it is reasonable that our Lord should continue to show Himself our judge. But as I said even now, let us be well content to walk in such a manner that innocent blood not cry out for vengeance against us. Let us not do injury or outrage to any person, that our Lord may bless us for so doing, and not pay us with like measure, just as we see how our Lord Jesus Christ says that it will come so to pass in Matthew 7 2. Let every one of us therefore rein himself in, in such a way that this curse not come upon us, that is, being robbed as punishment for using robbery and extortion against innocence. But since men imagine that their adversity will be short, and that they will soon be rid of it, Moses adds that it will be continual, and that when the hand of God is against us, no man will be able to save us. It is sure that just as God is slow to anger, 
so he is soon pacified, as far as the faithful are concerned. As for the wicked, he is unrelenting with them, and they feel their burden every day heavier than before. And why? Because just as they harden their hearts against God, so they must likewise feel him the harder against them. And although this is not always the way it is, yet do we see it often come to pass. God will sometimes withdraw his hand after he has menaced the wicked, or else, when he has given them some stripes with his rod, he will let them go again. And that is, as it were, a respite, that they may have leisure to turn to repentance. Notwithstanding, when he sees them to be unreformable, his dealings must of necessity be turned to their sore condemnation. If God then spares the despisers of his law, and those that are obstinate in malice, it does not therefore follow that they will be saved. Rather, it is to the end that the plague will come double upon their heads for their abuse of his patience after such a fashion. For when he has waited for them, and they continue to proceed from evil to evil, he must put forth his hand at last. No End and No Deliverer However the case stands, it is not in vain that Moses tells us here that when God is our enemy, our life shall not be miserable only for a day, or yet for a little while. We must not think to limit ourselves to any term in this matter, but we must look for one evil to draw another, until he has laid us quite under his feet, unless we turn to him to obtain mercy. So then, let us weigh well this word that Moses adds, where he says that if God begins to smite us for despising his justice, it shall not continue only for a little while, but we must be miserable forever. And why? Because inasmuch as the majesty of God is everlasting, he must take endless vengeance of those who despise his justice. Therefore, as soon as we see the blows come near us, let us be afraid, and let every one of us make haste to return to him whom we have offended that is, our God, to obtain forgiveness of our trespasses. That is the only remedy, without which there will be neither end nor limit to our afflictions, except we take care to reconcile ourselves to our God. Now, in that he alleges that none shall save them, it is to cut off all the vain hopes that men do forge for themselves in their own brains when he punishes them. They look here and there, and if they find any comfort in this world, it seems to them that they can hold God off. Of course, they will not say so, for it would be a blasphemy that all of us would hold accursed. But yet we are so sinful that we hope to turn away the hand of God when we find any help here, insomuch that if men show us any favor and we are supported in anything, we arm ourselves therewith against God. But Moses tells us here, that it is in vain for men to seek various succors after that fashion, when God wars upon them. And why? Because all creatures are in his hand, and without him they can do nothing. Moreover, what is apparently for our benefit will become our curse, and all things will redound to our confusion. Let us not, therefore, look to be saved by any means that come to hand when our Lord opposes us, but let us return to him seeing that there is no other remedy but that, and let us rid ourselves of all such things as may hinder us to come to repentance. Let us then be quickened up by these two sayings of Moses, 
that we sleep no more in our vain fantasies as we have been accustomed too often to do. But what shall we say? There are very few who think about that. For every man torments himself, if his griefs continue, and he finds no help in men. In all our afflictions we can complain well enough, but we do not consider that God withholds the help of men from us when he intends to punish us in such a way that we shall, after a fashion, be utterly overwhelmed. And again, if our sorrow continues, it is because we have persisted too much in our stubbornness. We don't think a whit about all this. But all the same, these things are not written in vain, and therefore let us learn to profit better from them than we have done in times past. Multiplied Chastisements Finally, Moses sets forth by these threats how we shall be vexed and robbed if we offend against the law of God. He says, You shall marry a wife and not lie with her. You shall build a house and not dwell in it. You shall plant a vineyard and not gather its fruits. Indeed, they shall take your cattle and your sheep and kill them while you stand by starving. And not only shall your cattle be made a prey and a booty, but your children also shall be delivered into the hands of your enemies, and you shall yearn for them and your eyes shall be dazzled due to grief and sorrow, and meanwhile your hand shall be without strength or power to recover them. Verses 30-34 through 34. It would have been enough to have said in a few words, You shall suffer robberies, extortions, and wrongs. But because men are slow, it is good for them to be so much the better touched, and to behold the things as it were before their eyes. That is the reason why Moses speaks here of houses and vineyards, of wives and children, and of cattle. It is as if he should say, Some shall bewail the robbery of their houses that they had built, some their being separated from their vineyards and other possessions, some the spoiling of their goods and the driving away of their cattle, and others shall bewail the wrong that is done to them in their children and their wives. But we are to consider that all these things are the scourges of God, with which he punishes us for our sins. It is certain, as I have said already, that God sometimes, in order to exercise the faithful in patience, sends them the very chastisements here mentioned, and yet he is not punishing them for their offenses. For Job was not punished for his sins, not that God did not have just cause to do so, but in that he had no respect to it. However the case stands, it is something we see every day. Indeed, We may find many examples of men that are tormented and vexed by the wicked, so that they are driven from pillar to post and robbed of their goods. Such things happen every day. But this does not prove this doctrine invalid, or that it is not true as an ordinary rule that God punishes men's sins by such means. Now, when we have walked in the fear of God, and endeavored to serve Him, and yet notwithstanding our substance is taken away, and robbers possess it, let us consider that if this is not done for our sins, our Lord is giving us a great preeminence. For first of all, if we have not offended him, to whom does the credit for our faithfulness belong? We were preserved by his Holy Spirit. And moreover, secondly, notwithstanding any good affection and zeal that we have had to live uprightly and uncorruptedly, yet we do not cease to be guilty before God. But what of that? He spares us, and yet he intends to try our patience to humble us. 
When it is his will that we bear these miseries, which are punishments for them that despise his law, and that we feel them, well then we must bow to them, and thereby he tests how pliable we are under his hand, to yield to his governing according to his good pleasure. Moreover, this always takes place, as we have said before, that our Lord punishes the offenses and transgressions of his law by the things that are specified here. So then, when a man builds, let him take heed that he does not build with extortion, pillaging, cheating, and robbery, as it is said by the prophet in Habakkuk 2.12. For the prophet shows us the walls singing and answering one another. For since men's houses and palaces are often built with blood, robbery, extortion, and wicked practices, so that the very walls themselves cry out that they were built with pillaging and cheating, it must wake up God's wrath and vengeance against such builders. Do we desire, then, to live in peace? Let us look that we build without doing wrong to anybody, whoever he is. And moreover, let every one of us in his dwellings dedicate himself in such a way to God that he may dwell with us. For they that are driven out of their dwellings have commonly driven God out before. That is to say, they have followed some evil practice, so that God has not reigned there. Is it then any wonder if they are driven out in the end? No. And why? Will God be thrust from his right, and we in the meantime possess every man his dwelling in peace? Is that reasonable? Therefore, when we see such changes happening as are seen in this world, let us understand that God drives them out who earlier would give him no lodging. And let such examples admonish us to stand in fear of the threats here specified. And let us not tarry till our Lord banishes us from the place where we are harbored, but let us rather endeavor to serve him, so that he may continue always with us to maintain us. And if it comes to pass that we are driven out, let us understand that it is for our sins, for it is better late than never. Moreover, if we are driven out for any other reason, as at this day we see many poor faithful people who are like birds on a bough, as though the earth could not bear them, as St. Paul says of his time in 1 Corinthians 4.13, and as it is seen at this present time that the children of God are as vagabonds, having not a hole to hide themselves in, when we behold these things, let us understand that since our Lord leads us this way, He does us a great favor, that this is not because of our sins, but for His name's sake and for our better establishment in the hope of the heavenly inheritance, seeing that there is nothing sure or stable in this present world, but that we must always aspire to the eternal life and to the rest that is prepared for us on high. Let us then acknowledge the good that He does to us in this matter. But in any case, let us take good heed that we do not provoke his wrath against us in such a way as I have spoken of before. Concerning Marriage Now, when it is said, You shall betroth a wife, but another man shall violate her, in verse 30a, let every man take heed to walk in such chastity that he draw not upon himself this curse of God, so that he is deprived of his wife he desires, and the wife in like case of her husband. We see how men are given over to all unchastity, and God has given them their reward accordingly. David himself was not spared in this case. We hear how it was said to him, You have done this in secret, but I shall do it to you publicly, 
in 2 Samuel 12.12. He was forced to suffer reproach before all the world, in having his wives ravished openly. Since it is so, let us be careful to walk in such chastity that when men take wives, they may so live together that they may feel the blessing of God, and that their marriages not be broken through the committing of any offense. For as I have said, it is no wonder that there is so much trouble in the world at this time, because men are more and more kindling the wrath and vengeance of God. Similarly, concerning adultery, for what is the reason that men are so riotous and have come, as we would say, to their full pride? It is because wedlock is so little regarded and there is no fear of God. There is neither faith nor truth, and therefore men plunge themselves into all misfortune so that in the end there will be nothing but disorder. So much the more, therefore, ought we to take warning to walk in all cleanness of life, that every one may keep him to his own wife, and the Lord bless his marriage and maintain him in quietness. Moreover, seeing that God is matched with us in the person of his only Son, and would have us to keep fast the faith of wedlock towards him, according to the simplicity of his gospel, let us cleave thoroughly to what he has commanded us, and in brief, let us be hallowed unto him, and follow his holy calling. For if we do so, our Lord will grant unto husbands the grace to live quietly with their wives and households, and unto the wives to learn to live in good agreement with their husbands. For we must mark that if a man and wife do not join in one mind, there must be discord in the whole house and they will bite and snatch one another like dogs and cats, and the one will wish the other a hundred feet underground, so that they will live in continual misery and disquietness. And why? Because neither the one nor the other have any regard to God, to yield himself to his direction. Therefore, let us learn to stop provoking the vengeance of God in this matter. Concerning Lands and Possessions Concerning lands and possessions, he says that the transgressors of the law of God will plant vines, but they shall never gather the fruit of them, in verse 30b. We have seen that those who have thus offended God are the strongest and boldest sort, believing that no harm can come near them. And that is why we see that those who acquire the most, and engage in the greatest enterprises, are those who willfully give themselves to pillaging and robbing by hook and by crook, having no concern what robbing and extortion they commit, and defending both God and man without end or measure. Such persons as these must afterwards give an account. They think that when they have planted vineyards, they will enjoy them without controversy, and that when they have built houses, they will dwell in them without further effort. Thus do men harden themselves against God. But Moses declares to the contrary, that when they have planted vines, other men shall gather the fruit thereof. And indeed, when we see at this time so much thievery in the world, let us understand that it is because there are so few that have clean hands, and because so few are able to protest that they have not encroached upon the goods of other men by unjust means. Indeed, there is such unmeasurable disorder these days, that the children of God are fleeced, though they abstain from wrongdoing. We must, however, always bear in mind the ordinary course of things, of which I have spoken, 
which is that our Lord shall not fail to punish the sins that break out in this area like a waterspout. And as for those who have lands and possessions, they will not go around and steal other folks' goods or pick a few grapes. They will not go filchingly to cut down the patch of meadow. It is for beggars to do so. And we see in these days that for the most part it is poor folks who are the pilferers, filching and stealing anything they can finger. But yet, they that have lands and possessions are the greatest thieves. For the things they possess, they get by unlawful means. It is no wonder, then, if God requites them the same, and that they come to be vexed in their goods and possessions. God therefore shows us by experience that his uttering of such speeches is not in vain, but we ignore it. Men are well able to complain, as I have said before, but they have no regard to the principal point, which is that God is putting into execution those things that he spoke by the mouth of Moses. Let us therefore consider these things. And when we see so much stealing of vines, of grains, and of such other things, let us understand that our Lord punishes the ravenousness and extortion that is committed both in merchandising and in all other trades of occupation. And let us not tarry until God punishes us. Let us walk uprightly, if we wish for him to be our defender. For although all places are full of thieves, yet our Lord will keep our goods in safety if we walk in his fear and abstain from all manner of evil doing. That is what we must have our recourse to, and we must not think to escape evil by evil doing, but we must use the remedy that our Lord sets forth in this text. The same thing is said of our cattle and our children in verses 31 through 32. Indeed, Moses continues to enlarge on the matter, to the end that men should so much the better perceive what is the effect of this speech that he employs, namely, this shall be forever. It is as if he should say that the hand of God shall always wax heavier and heavier. So much so that if a man is driven from his city dwelling, and thinks to remove to his possessions and to his lands, God shall persecute him even there. And if he thinks to cheer himself with his wife, she shall be taken from him by force. And if he thinks to find some comfort in his children, they shall be delivered into the hands of his enemies. And if he thinks to have any recourse to his cattle, they shall be all stolen or taken away by force. Moses therefore besets us here on all sides, to the end that we should learn to resort unto God, since it is in vain for us to labor to escape any other way. This is the matter in effect that we have to bear in mind from this text. Concerning Invasions Now he adds, moreover, to increase the evil, that the fruits of the earth and the labor of our hands shall be eaten by a people that we have not known, and that we ourselves will be distracted by the miseries that will thus light upon us. Verses 33-34 That is to say, we shall be out of our minds, beholding the horrors before our eyes. And being bewildered at it, we shall be forced to admit that the hand of God is against us. That is, in effect, the matter that is intended in this text. Now I have mentioned before, that the misery is all the more grievous to bear when an unknown people come to pillage and ransack. It is hard to bear when we are robbed by our neighbors, by those who should be at amity with us. But if there comes a strange people, this is less mercy. 
For when men are separated one from another, and have no intermingling at all, there is less likelihood of any means of safety. And we see how this is often repeated in the prophets, as it is in Isaiah 33.19, so that it is said sometimes that the people who will persecute us will be a barbarous people without language comprehensible to us, so that when we ask them for mercy and cry alas, it will seem to them that we curse them, and they will increase their cruelty. So then, let us mark that his speaking thus of a strange people is to make us understand that God will send us such chastisers as will have no pity or compassion towards us, who will thoroughly root us out. And now be warned, that although the plague has not yet come near us, we must not therefore fall asleep, for we always measure God's threats by our own conception of them, and by the things that offer themselves to our eyes. When men speak of war, and threaten us with the Turk, we reply, But how can he come at us? He is too far off. Again, can such a prince invade us? Impossible! He will be prevented by such and such a means. And the plague cannot come that way, because of such and such a reason. It may be dealt with by all such means. It cannot be. When we use such kinds of shifting thoughts to comfort ourselves, we are despising God, not in word, but in deed. For we continue unreformable and proud, and do not fear that the plague can come at us. Therefore God says that he will stir up strange people against us, even people of far countries. When men think least about it, then they will wonder to see how God will come in upon them on that side that they never thought of, and bring them enemies to spoil them. Let us then mark by this text that God's scourges lie sometimes hidden and break out suddenly, so that men are taken asleep by them, according to the saying that they are like to a woman that is childbearing. For a woman that is with child is utterly undone when her hour is come. Even so it fares with them that are puffed up with their iniquities and delight therein. They do not see that the hand of God is near them. It comes upon them like a tempest. While they are saying, Peace and safety, then their ruin and utter destruction comes, as in 1 Thessalonians 5.3. Therefore, since we are told of strange people, let us learn to look far before us when God threatens us, For just as faith must look above the world in order to take hold of God's promises, that it may rest wholly upon them, so likewise, when God threatens us, our faith must look further off than we can see with our eyes. We must not trust what we see. We can take Noah as an example. He did not tarry until the flood broke out, or until God unlocked the rain of heaven and opened the foundations of the earth. But as soon as he heard the word, He did nothing but think about the vengeance of God. See Genesis 6.22. And by virtue of that word, he beheld the flood as if it had been present, and he lived in such fear and carefulness as if he had seen the rain both evening and morning destroying all things before his eyes. Even so should we, and we should be warned thereof by this saying, where God speaks of distant lands. Moreover, we are warned to live in peace and concord, For seeing that God has formed a society of us, and we are intermingled together, we must learn to live in such unity that our Lord will not need to bring strange enemies to chastise our churlishness, when we resemble dogs and cats. For when men who ought to agree together start vexing one another, 
It causes God to stir up foreigners to be their enemies, because the closer God comes to us, the more he will have us given to doing good one to another. And if we do contrary, then must God stir up a people to come to spoil us, because we have not lived in peace like brethren, nor have we knitted ourselves together like fingers of one hand. This is what we have to bear in mind touching this text. Concerning Distraction Now, where he says, And you shall be amazed at the sights you shall see, in verse 34, it is just as what we saw in verse 29 above, namely that men should be distracted and grope at noon like the blind in the dark. For if we are held up, so that we gather our spirits to call upon God, and are enabled to be patient in our afflictions, that is a great grace, and such a one as cannot be sufficiently esteemed. But if our Lord does not encourage us to repentance, or give us wherewith to assuage and diminish our sorrows, but all hope is taken away, and we are totally forlorn, so that we see the naked sword continually before us, having no means to remedy or succor at all, this is a dreadful threat. Nevertheless, it is not sent without cause, considering the hardness of heart that can be seen in all men. For until God has brought us to this condition, we are wholly blockish. We are contrary. We are certain to complain when anything troubles us. Indeed, sometimes we lie as beaten down, but that does not make us to come again to God. For we see how every man takes the bridle in his teeth, so that they shake off all fear and never think upon what is set down here. And so we see how men become blockish. Now our Lord would fain draw them to remembrance, if they are teachable, that is to say, if they are not willfully stubborn. For he tries all manner of ways to draw us to him. This is the reason why he corrects us gently, and as it were with his little finger. But when he sees that such will not prevail, then must he bring us to this kind of shock. For until he has left us as men distracted, we shall never have our minds peaceable and obedient. We shall never be one. Therefore, let us mark well that this threat is directed to such as do not bow under the first blow God gives them, but go from evil to worse. For then must they of necessity come to this place. Now he speaks expressly of the sight of the eyes. For men blind themselves, as I have said before, persuading themselves that they can escape by some means. Even though we see the evil at hand, yet we may wonder to behold how we hold on to our course and pay no heed to it. It is just as the prophet Isaiah says, speaking of the wicked, that when the scourge passes over the whole earth and the storm overtakes them all, they are not one bit moved by it all. Isaiah 28.15 In such a way do the despisers of God speak and there are an infinite number of them. So then, men do indeed thus blind their eyes, and have no respect at all for the plagues to which they are subject, but notwithstanding they may fall into an infirmity of troubles, out of which they cannot get again. Yet they hold on still, since they are so rebellious. Moses says expressly in this text, therefore, that they shall have a sight set before their eyes. That is to say, after you have been hardened for a long while in your vain fantasies, and have flattered yourselves in your sins, imagining that God should spare you and that you are, as it were, his buddies, 
and have made a pact with death and with the grave, as the prophet speaks of in Isaiah 28.15. When you have been thus a long while untouched with any fear, and have deceived yourselves, assuring yourselves that your plague will not last, then will come a sight that shall make your eyes dazzle in beholding the infinite horrors you must endure. And whichever way you turn your eyes, whether upward or downward, forward or backward, you shall see the hand of God continually pursuing you, by reason of which you shall be driven to madness. Let us learn, therefore, to convert this text to our benefit. And while God forbears with us, or at least so moderates his plagues that we are not thereby altogether overthrown, let us fear him, and let us consider how many ways we have offended God, insomuch that if he inclined to deal rigorously with us, we should then perish every minute of the hour. And with all of this, let us not tarry till he thunder down upon us and pour out his curses upon us in such a manner that they sink into our very bones, but let us return to him and to his goodness. And above all things, when he gives us the grace to foresee his plagues afar off, so that we may say that others are punished for our instruction, let us take warning from their example. By faith, let us receive God's correction wherewith he threatens us, so that we may be preserved from that sight of which Moses here speaks, so that our Lord does not strike us with such fear that we cannot in any way think to receive any manifestation of his goodness because of our sins. No, rather, let us put this lesson of obeying him and of submitting ourselves to him to good use, so that we may escape the aforesaid dazzling of the eyes, and be not so oppressed that we should become like people who are out of their minds. Let us not come to such an extremity, neither let us compel God to execute such threats against us. Prayer Now let us fall down before the majesty of our good God, with acknowledgment of our sins, beseeching him to vouchsafe to make us to understand them, that every one of us may be his own judge, and turn to him before we are constrained thereto. And that having willingly condemned ourselves, and bewailed our sins, we may seek to return to his obedience in such a way that the same may serve to dedicate us wholly to him and that in the meantime it may please him that, just as he has sent us the message of reconciliation in his gospel, he will also give us that grace to obtain mercy from him and forgiveness of all our sins in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, and that resting thereon, we not fail to walk always in his fear, and that his bearing with us through his fatherly goodness may not cause us to sleep in our sins and to flatter ourselves in them but that every one of us may quicken himself up until we are quite clean rid of them. And that since we are to pass through so much filth in this world, we may be taught to amend our misdoings continually until we are thoroughly rid of them. For the full uniting of ourselves with him, making us partakers of his heavenly glory, that it may please him to grant this grace not only to us, but also to all people and nations of the earth, etc.